birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married through the Holy Spirit. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Lovely. Thank you, team. Thanks for that. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to HBC. It's great to have you with us. Uh, I'm assuming, I can't see I've got my glasses on, but I'm assuming some have come from the wedding, who have travelled afar and are here with us this morning. A very warm welcome. And especially if you're from Dunedin, a really warm welcome. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's hot here. So great to have you with us. Uh, I'd like to thank um, Zach. Um, I saw Zach last Sunday and I cornered him and I said to him, hey, Zach, how good are you at reading? He goes, really good, really good. I went, good, good, because you're, you're going to read a passage for me next Sunday. And he was like, ah, oh, get Michael to do it. But no, thanks, Zach. You did really, really well. And that's the passage that Billy read and the passage that Zach read we're going to look at today. Very quickly, um, because it's Christmas service, we do our devotions uh, at this time. So hopefully it shouldn't be too long, but slightly longer than Billy. So that will be cool. So Matthew, it's been read, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. We've been thinking of our expected saviour over the last few weeks. We first thought of a New Testament person, John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, how he expected the Saviour, he thought he knew the Saviour, but when in prison, um, he started to doubt, was Jesus the Saviour? So much so that he sent his disciples to Jesus and asked them, are you the one or, or is there another to come? So he was doubting that this was the Saviour. And so that's what we looked at, our expected saviour. How would he come? What would he look like to a nation that expected him? And then we looked at Job 19. And of course, Job, unlike John the Baptist, who was struggling in prison and loneliness and shame, Job, who was struggling in a different way, could cry out in Job 19, that I know my Redeemer lives, and one day he will stand upon this earth. I'm sure Job never thought that the Saviour would come in this way 
as we celebrate him and remember him as he came into this world, as we do in Christmas time. But he knew he would stand on this earth. He knew he would come as a man, and a mediator, a redeemer, a saviour, the Messiah would come. And then we looked at last week, um, Paul brought to us from Luke 4, quoting Isaiah 61, that the spirit of the Lord would remain upon him. Unlike the Old Testament, Holy Spirit came, Holy Spirit could go, but the Messiah, the Christ, the Spirit of God would remain on him. And so we get to today, uh, Christmas time on Friday, and we're going to look very quickly how the Messiah came, what he looked like, and what he did, and the people around him. Yes, our expected Messiah was to come, but boy, he came in an unexpected way. Even the prophecies about him couldn't grasp how he would come in. And we'd thought about that with Aaron A. God with us. Amazing. So I'm not going to read again, and we want to look at three things this morning. The scandal of it all, the spirit involved in the scandal, and also the surrogate or the substitute, which is Joseph himself. And other three things we're just going to quickly look over. Let's look at verse 18 again and, and just read 18. I want to take out four words and we're going to look at the scandal of how the Messiah, our Savior, came in to this world. It says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child. I want to leave out them four words of the Holy Spirit. Sure, if we put that in, it de-scandalizes it, but take him out and we have a big problem. Or maybe not we, but Mary had a big problem. Joseph had a big problem. When you take them four words out. Now, don't forget Mary was given that revelation from God. She was found to be pregnant. She hadn't been with Joseph. How would she tell him that? What would that look like? What would that feel like for her? In this time, 400 years, God has been silent. The prophecies or the prophets, um, they were making false claims. God was silent. And all of a sudden, a woman, a virgin, is pregnant. And an angel visits her. And she had to tell her husband-to-be. So there's two facts going on. Mary's with child. Joseph is not the father. And there's other little details that when we read this passage, that we go, that doesn't seem to make sense in our culture. For instance, here in verse 19, Joseph is called Mary's husband, but they're not married. And he's going to decide in verse 19 to divorce her, and yet they're not married. And it's like a wee bit strange. So what's going on? Remember all this going on between a couple, maybe the family, we don't know, is the expected Messiah, our expected Savior, is coming into the world amongst the scandal. And so what is going on? Well, it is the culture of the day. 
that we have to look at, two main events leading up to marriage. In the first event, step one, what happens in this culture? Well, a good mum and dad with a good family, maybe a daughter, daughter or two, they know another family down the road. And they are a good, they, they are law-abiding people. And they have one or two sons. And so the families know each other, they get together and they go, hey, how about your son marries your daughter? Oh, that, that's a good idea. No say, the children are very young, they're just kids. Okay. Joseph, Mary, they can be engaged. This is what we call the engagement period of this time. Sounds really weird in our culture, eh? especially after a wedding like last night, that this would be as children to be engaged. The parents have talked, all looks good. But then there's a second step, and this is what we've read. When they're older, probably teenagers, girls probably a teenager, the boys slightly older, they decide they meet. Everything's going well. They like each other. They think it's a good idea. They get a say in it. And so they will go to the next step, and that's betrothal. They will be betrothed together. That is a promise to one another that they are going to be married. In this culture, that was you could consider them when they say okay to step two. They are considered husband and wife. Though they don't live together, they are officially promised to be together, betrothed to one another. And so it's locked in. It's locked in. And that's why in our passage of 19, verse 19, it says, Joseph was her husband. Mary was his wife. The promise had been made. And that's why he had to divorce her in this culture. And so that, hopefully, the third step is marriage, the big marriage day. And, of course, that wasn't going to happen with the events that have just happened. Not from Joseph's side. This explains us to us why in our text, Joseph was called the husband. But to be called a husband and what's going on here, this is a scandal. Mary pregnant, he has promised to her, he knows he's not the dad. You know, if it's kind of scandalous or in the church today this happens and it does happen and people kind of hold their breath and are a wee bit shocked at how this happened. You know, a couple get together and the lady ends up pregnant. You can imagine if it's a, a bit of a scandal in today's anything goes type of culture. Imagine 2,000 years ago in this culture, what that would look like for Mary and Joseph. A culture that nothing goes you abide by God's law goes, and that is it. God's word is law. And now Mary is pregnant. This is the scandal. But can you imagine Joseph? Just to, if you like, walk a mile in Joseph's shoes. Mary got told first. She is a godly woman. Joseph is a godly man, but Mary understands how this has come about. I'm sure she doesn't fully understand, but she gets it. God has spoken to her. But Joseph was later. 
Imagine the conversation from Mary to Joseph. Joseph, I'm pregnant, but don't panic. It's off the Holy Spirit. What would he have acted like? He walks out of the tent. He is humiliated. He is angry. He is wild, and he is confused. What's going on? God hasn't told me. What should he do? What could he do? And what would he do on this situation? What would you do? It's kind of like, you know them cartoons? There used to be innocent cartoons in my day. And uh, Tom and Jerry, Roadrunner, no one got hurt, no one got killed. And in them kind of cartoons, you would find, especially with Tom and Jerry, Tom being the cat, and uh, when he came to do something wrong, an angel would appear on his shoulder in the form of Tom, and then a little devil would appear on his shoulder, and they'd be telling him different things. The devil said, you know, do something wrong, <laughs> innocent cartoons. <laughs> um, and the angel would say, no, you, Tom, do something right. Do the right thing. Well, here it's quite funny if you look at what Joseph did and what Joseph and his choices that he had. In a sense, Joseph, he had two, not, not a devil and an angel, he had two angels on his shoulder. One could re remind him of the law, which is Deuteronomy 22, saying, put her away and shame her. She has done something terribly wrong. Joseph was in his right to do that with that angel on his shoulder. But there's another angel on his shoulder, which is Deuteronomy 23, and that's the grace and the mercy of God if you read that passage. And that's telling him, hold on, hold on, be compassionate. Don't rush. Hold your horses, Joseph. And in the end, Joseph listens to that one. In fact, if what Joseph does is says that being a godly man, he's going to put her away quietly, he actually fulfills the law and the mercy and compassion of God. He's a godly man. He's not going to embarrass his wife-to-be. But he loves her, and he'll put her away silently. He is a godly, godly man. But thankfully, in a sense, the Spirit of God comes in, and Joseph doesn't have two angels on his shoulders. God steps in, and God sends a real one, Gabriel, to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, though you could take off the Holy Spirit in verse 18, it's repeated in verse 20. He comes, he says to this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which was conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now he gets the call. Now he gets the revelation. I'm sure that was a big sigh of relief for him. I'm sure it made them closer. Mary, now I, I honestly 100% believe you and what the angel said to you because it said the same thing to me. I'm sure they didn't know what's going on. They didn't know how. But in the midst of a scandal, 
comes the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing from a human point of view, from a worldly point of view, we see a scandal, but in the midst of it all is the Holy Spirit and God is working. Such different thoughts or different sceneries as we look and different pictures as we see. And so the angels are whisked away and the real one comes. Mary is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought of that? How that takes place. The Holy Spirit has made the pre-existent second person in the Trinity into a human being. Wow. Man, we take that verse for granted. The one who we find in Genesis 1 hovering over starting creation is the one hovering over Mary now, starting the life of our expected Savior. Truly, truly is amazing that this one, this eternal one, would be born from a woman. And in her womb starts the process of arms, of legs, of head, of eyes, of nose, of legs, of feet, of hands. The process starts because of the Holy Spirit. Truly is amazing. And so in this scandal that we see from a man's point of view, the Holy Spirit comes in. He is involved and he starts the Savior's journey to the cross. But then we have the last thought, which is the substitute, the surrogate, which is a person stepping in and fulfilling a certain role. I know Mary did that, but from Joseph's perspective this morning, he steps in as the father of Jesus. He isn't the father of Jesus. Don't come running up to me afterwards. (laughs) And uh, no, but he steps in to be the substitute father of Jesus, the Messiah. As we look through here, especially the passage of Matthew, it starts off pretty straight, pretty plain, pretty clear, not a lot of details. You know, there's no nativity, there's no labor, there's no delivery. Unlike Luke's gospel, which goes into a lot more detail. And that's really because it's looking through the eyes of Mary. But here in Matthew, it's looking through the eyes of Joseph. But though, looking through the eyes of Joseph, we notice that Joseph doesn't say a word. He doesn't speak at all in this gospel. All we can see is his actions. And they speak louder than if he would have spoken. They are prompt, they are simple, they're unspectacular, but they are obedient to him, to the Lord. They are godly actions that Joseph puts in place and how he deals with his wife-to-be. It goes to show that sometimes you really don't need to say a lot to live a godly life when people can see your actions. And that's what we see as the substitute father for the Lord Jesus and Joseph. No words but compassion and mercy and love and obedience to God. 
And I guess that's why God chose him. I guess that's why God chose Mary as well. We have a godly woman and a godly man, and that's how our Messiah, our Saviour, is going to come into this world. The unexpected Saviour comes in in such an unexpected way. It's kind of a word that sticks out, though it's not always there. In the scandal, we have this word quietly. Joseph is going to quietly put her away. And then when the Holy Spirit comes and he is mentioned and his job was to uh, be at work there in Mary's life and the conception of the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit always known as the quiet member of the Trinity. The quiet member doesn't really say much. It's always quietly pointing us to the Son, pointing us to the Father. And then we have the substitute. He is quietly listening to God. He is quietly going about his daily work in action, godly action. And right at the end, as Zach said, and they shall call him Jesus. This Christmas, we have to stop and think and be amazed at what's taken place. I think we lose it. The more we speak about it, the more Christmas comes and you've got to do another Christmas sermon. We lose our amazement of what's happened and how the Saviour came in to the world. Maybe this Christmas it would be a good idea if we just, before the presents are open, before we eat, as we open our Bibles as a family and read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. And be amazed at how our Saviour came in to this world. Don't get excited about food. Don't get excited about presents. I can say that because I had to buy my own this year. But be excited about our Saviour. And how he came. And what he did. And where he ended up. And how we know him because... It started here. Our Saviour has come, and our Saviour will come again, not in this way. This way super humble, super unexpected, but he's coming again in glory. And so that's our challenge this year, to be amazed at our Saviour again. Thank you.